0: On today's episode of the Cosmos podcast, we have part three of our 10-part sponsorship webinar series that Cosmos is hosting with Central Counties Tourism and Sport Durham. For this episode, I sit down with Cosmos President Kerry Kaplan to discuss how to identify companies to reach out to for sponsorship, how to find the decision maker, and how to reach out most effectively. This episode will make sense as a standalone listen, but you may want to check out episode nine called What Sponsors Want, or episode 11 called What's My Sponsorship Worth, as both are good precursors to this episode you haven't already, you can subscribe to the Cosmos Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we'd very much appreciate a rating or review. We hope you enjoy.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to episode three of our corporate sponsorship webinar series. Um, I am Evan Colborn. this is Kerry uh, who is the President of Cosmo Sports and Entertainment. Uh, so uh, as we usually get started, a couple of just housekeeping items. Uh, so first of all, very special thanks to Central Counties Tourism and Sport Durham again for uh, putting on this webinar series and, and allowing us to host it. Um, this is episode three, We so we've still got seven more to go after this. Um, and it's uh, so far so good, so really uh, glad we've been able to uh, To bring this to everybody. Um, If you have any trouble seeing any of the slides that are on the screen, uh, all the slides will be made available to anybody who's registered for the webinar. Um, So don't worry if you can't see something or if you're trying to take a note and um, just can't quite read it, um, all the slides will be made available. Uh, We're going to wrap up the presentation today with some Q&A at the end for the last 10 minutes or so. Um, So the way to submit any questions is if you're on the YouTube page, In the top right corner of your screen, there's a live chat box. Uh, We did learn that uh, on our last uh, episode that you do have to be signed into your uh, Google account in order to um, be able to submit a question. Um, So if you're not signed in and would like to uh, submit a question, all you have to do is sign into your Google account. If you don't have a Google account or uh, if you're not able to to sign in where you are, you can um, email us any questions. Uh, So you can find our emails on Cosmosports.com. If you go to About Us and our team page, all of our emails are there, so you can send one to Carrie or myself uh, or Rebecca, and we'd be happy to answer any of the questions you might have. So with the live chat questions, uh, so there is a, a slight uh, delay on the on the broadcast, so um, submit questions throughout uh, as they come, uh, come to mind for you, because if you wait till the end, uh, we may not be able to... Uh, get your question on our end before uh, the broadcast actually ends just because of the uh, the delay so uh, submit questions throughout and uh, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll get a chance to address those uh, at the end so um, and likewise you know if, if there's any questions that uh, you find after the webinar you can always email us again uh, emails are all on the uh, on the team page so so with that, so our third episode is all about who to reach out to. Um, and we're going to talk about the sponsorship prospecting process. So episode one, we really touched on what sponsors want. Uh, really tried to provide some insight into what they're looking for and what their objectives are. Episode two really focused on us as properties and what we have to offer uh, and then tried to offer some insight into what it's worth and, and how we can determine uh, some fair market values for our different, um, uh, different assets. So with a good understanding, of kind of both those sides, uh, now and, and, and had you followed along through kind of episode two you know you're, you're kind of um, you've got all your your tools really that you need so now it's time to start reaching out and start building some relationships and start having some conversations with uh, with potential sponsors um, so two we the way we titled this this webinar is, is really there's two keywords that we wanted to highlight here so first is who um, so we really didn't title this around know, what companies to reach out to for sponsorship. It's really about who to reach out to for sponsorship. And it's kind of been a theme through our first two episodes is it's about people. Um, the, the people that are making these decisions are just like you or I, and they're, uh, just you know, working in a different type of job. So they're, um, so it's really about finding the right people to reach out to for, for sponsorship opportunities. Uh, and the second is, is the, you know, the word reach out. It's, um, it's a proactive process. It's not, it's not re- uh, reactionary. Um, it's not about putting up, a you know, a form on our websites, and you know, requesting sponsorship there or things like that. Um, so we're going to really focus on how this is a proactive process and what um, what we can all do um, to be proactive in, in, in sourcing out those opportunities for uh, for ourselves. So, um, so a couple just key takeaways uh, for for today. Uh, so first, we would you know the hopeful takeaway is that the you know understanding of how to how to prospect for the right companies. So how to and we're going to talk about, you know, how to define a bit of the why or the, the fit, um, why there's that initial fit between a company and, and, a, and a property. Uh, second, you know, finding the right person um, at the company to reach out to. Uh, so who's the, the ultimate decision maker and how can we how can we get in front of that person? Um, and then lastly, we're going to very specifically and tactfully um, uh, show what that outreach really looks like, both from email, from phone, different methods. Um, so we'll share some some really specifics on, on how that looks. Okay, so so really, where where we're gonna get started is is how to first kind of define who are the right companies that we want to be be reaching out to, um, and it you know it really does start with that concept of, of why and, and why in the sense of in a few different ways. So why a why does our property exist? What's our mission and what's our purpose? Uh, B what's the company's mission and purpose? And is there any alignment there? Um, do we have a similar uh, business objective? Do we share a similar audience? Um, so forth so there's got to be some sort of initial fit between companies because uh, there's really often there's this kind of misconception that you know you look at a company maybe it's like a McDonald's or something you say hey they you know they have a lot of money why wouldn't they want to sponsor us right
2: so I think that first of all it's great appreciate the introduction Evan I mean it's a really important topic today so um, and you know you know just say in general in the series I mean sometimes it can be hard it's a lot of Evan and I talking here with slides in the background but I hope you can um, it's a lot of theory in some ways, but I think, you know, the appreciated, I know there's a lot of people that are listening. I think the, the, the content's unique. And as I've said, you know, a few times common sense, isn't always common or common sense is uncommon. I think is a famous quote. Um, so that's important. There's a perception. So one of the, and I think today in particular, more even so than the first two episodes is, um, some of the misconceptions about sponsorship there's i think two or three that we're talking about today so the first one and one of the most overwhelming ones is exactly what you said so i I hope you guys listen closely to this point um a lot of you may think tim hortons has a lot of money mcdonald's has a lot of money canadian tire has a lot of money why aren't they sponsoring us terrible terrible thought process they don't have a lot of money to spend on sponsorship they're successful because they manage their business well. So they're not sitting with hundreds of thousands or millions or tens of millions of dollars looking to sponsor or work with things that don't make sense. If you're the director of marketing of a local McDonald's or you're the franchise manager of a local McDonald's, you have a very small amount of money. You might have whatever that is, and it could be $5,000 or $10,000 or $100,000, but you want to strategically spend it The best way possible. So the mistake is for somebody to say, well, I'm an Olympic athlete, or um, I want to be an Olympic athlete, or I'm a, we have a great event here that, um, a great festival in town. And this company, McDonald's, has a lot of money, so they should support us. Wrong answer. Uh, The concept is how do you link, it's understanding them, it's what's the, who is the local franchisee of McDonald's what are their values what events have they done in the past what might interest them what's good for their business how will they sell more hamburgers or more salads or more of whatever and how can you be a facilitator to help that mcdonald's have more traffic and that's the same for the local law firm or insurance company and so again if you start from a position of they owe me something they owe us something they've done well by this community they should spend with us you're going to be very unsuccessful if you start from the premise of um, they're successful because they spend their money. Well, in large part uh, let me care enough. So I understand them better. That's a much better place to start from. So just sort of get it out of your head. This company has a lot of money or this company hasn't returned my calls or emails. So it's on them. It's on you. It's your obligation to best define that. And, um, You've got to solve that dilemma, not saying, Well, I did my work by sending them three emails and they didn't respond. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fine, but you're gonna be grumpy about that, but it doesn't mean they're ever gonna work with you. So um again, the onus is on you.
1: Yeah. Onus is on on them and it really is that you know that fit. There's gotta be that that fit. Otherwise it just it, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Then maybe there just isn't a fit and that's okay too. There's
2: not always a fit. And sometimes sometimes it's good to go into these situations and say, I don't know if there's a fit for McDonald's to work with heart and stroke foundation or this a marathon we're coming up, right? You might think, well, McDonald's, how can McDonald's work with a marathon? Their business is um, uh, hamburgers and fries and milkshakes and soft drinks. Well, McDonald's wants to, you know, a big part of what they want to do if you talk to them is promote their yogurts and their salads and their oatmeal. And maybe it's a great fit, but maybe it's not. So you have to, part of it is understanding their business and maybe talking to them, you know, do you understand what the calorie content of their oatmeals are, how many they sell, or are they successful or not successful, or do they, what has McDonald's done in the last 10 years to tie into healthy living? And by the way, it's not, just as I say, McDonald's, it could be investors group. Uh, you know, Purelator. I always use I like Later's example because they, um, hunger is a big cause for purulator. well you'd never think that you'd think purulators in the delivery business well purulators in the preventing hunger starvation issues but you, that's on you do your research figure out understand purulator before they call them don't think you understand your event of course you do but you're not in a position to call purlator a mcdonald's until you know something about them yeah and and again you know yeah is it you can be creative the good news about fits there are more fits than you think but you have to be you have to look at the company to really understand where's the fit and if you can do some homework before it you can help define a fit before you reach out to them you've got a fighting chance
1: yeah the reason the research component really really important and now with you know, just as simple as Google, you can probably find a lot of what you're looking for just with, you know, a few minutes uh, typing in a few searches. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, we'll talk about Google. I think we'll talk a little bit later about LinkedIn.
2: There's no excuse anymore.
1: So, you know, maybe I'll just mention that Google
2: is a fit for re- just homepage of companies' websites, you know, or wik- Wikipedia. Wikipedia page can be great because a little bit more objective. The homepage and Wikipedia, you're covered. And then the other side... Who are people? If you want to know who the community community relations person is for um, Mr. Lube in your area, just it's on LinkedIn. So it might take you five minutes, it might take you ten minutes. So there's no excuse anymore. So to be able to say, you know, we're not looking through phone books anymore. So I think the technology is is an amazing tool, but on the same end, calling somebody and saying without that research, you know, it's embarrassing. So I'd say to everybody, if you're making a call to a company and you don't know anything about the company, pretty shame on you guys. That's pretty embarrassing. That's pretty bad that you would reach out to a local business without knowing more about them than that you're a casual customer. You've been there once before. So. Yeah.
1: Okay. So. So we've all heard this this concept of kind of the low hanging fruit, and that, that's this this uh, graphic here. Um, you know, we all have multiple jobs, we all have lots of tasks to do, um, and we want to focus on those things that are going to be most effective, that aren't going to take up uh, a disproportionate amount of our our time to to be effective. So, um, so with this concept of focusing on the on the low hanging fruit. So we can do you know all that research around around fit, and um, you know think we can define some companies that are a really good fit for for our property. Um, but there's still that, you know, that lack of connection and they may, you know, to continue the analogy, they may still be really high up the tree. Um, so, so really, I mean, how do, how do we kind of narrow it down? So we start focusing on one. Yeah, that are a little well, a good example. I mean, it's a great graphic You just actually, sure, come back.
2: it's a really neat graphic because the guy's on the wrong side of the tree and he doesn't even see that, you know, if he walked around the tree, you would see that there's apples right at the bottom, I think. You know, it's funny. I use the example of McDonald's, but I think that's often the problem. People say Tim Hortons, Canadian Tire, Scotia Bank, McDonald's. Oh, those aren't. That's often high hanging fruit. What about the local person that has two spas in Ajax, and you live in Ajax, or the one person that owns the one Arby's in Durham region, and you happen to know that person? But you're calling the head office of Arby's in Toronto. Why? Like that's the apples right there. And you think, oh, yeah, Bob just owns the one Arby's. He doesn't have any money. Bob's at Arby's. He's an Arby's franchisee. That's the person to talk to as opposed to trying to find some head office connection who's maybe never been to Ajax in their life. So again, it's. It just, you almost have to take a step back and look around you and say, look, who are, who are my potential partners as opposed to. So all these, you know, and by the way, one of the things about our training at Cosmos here, it's not consistent maybe with what you've heard or read before. So everybody obviously chooses to pick their own uh, pick, which way they go, but we're, you know, we pretty confident in, in our, in our argument, I mean, there's some people that say, look at fortune 500 companies. To me, it's totally ridiculous. Look in your own backyard um, for organizations and people that are fits. So I think we're gonna talk a little bit about yeah. that too.
1: So, yeah, so really that that concept of, of, you know, not not trying to, you know, jump to the top of the tree and you're going for those fortune 500 companies or thinking it's someone downtown Toronto, it's, it's really that person in your backyard, which is, you know, the first point here is all about, you know, personal network and, you know, kind of being surprised to just how many if you, if you kind of sat down and thought about it for a minute and in, in your own personal network, how many companies you're connected to locally and and, and otherwise through friends, family, um, uh, you know, in, in your work life as well. You know, it could be uh, clients, could be customers, could be vendors. So there's, there's this huge network of, of people that uh, you're connected to that you may not even realize it
2: yeah the best example for me is so my brother works at quaker tropicana pepsi you know i say when i say pepsi it's, he's in nutrition so i say pepsi you think that's odd but it's quaker tropicana pepsi he's in nutrition It's nothing to do with sponsorship or marketing or any of the things that cosmos does he's always the person i'm going to call at pepsi first now it's not going to be the person that anyone else on this that we're talking to today is going to call but my brother works at pepsi so i'm going to ask him Hey, what should we do on sponsorship? Or who should we talk to? How did that meeting? And yeah, it's three departments away and it's in another building and it's in another city. He's still, he's inside the building. Think of your own organization where you work. You know, you work for the, if you work for the city of Pickering and do you know who does sponsorship? Yeah, you can figure it out. And it may not be the person who has that title or maybe one person's easier to deal with than another person or you know the intricacies or you know how purchasing works or you, or you can find out. So I think the mistake is to not use your own network. You know, think of all the people that you guys know that work for different businesses. That's the person you should talk to at those companies, not the person in the um, quotes, right title, you know, start with the people, you know, and then ask those questions. The simple question is who's the right person or can you point me in the right direction or, you know, I know you don't have anything to do with this, but you've been my friend for 20 years. So who would be the person that, or, you know, so I, again, I think people are afraid to kind of go to their network
1: um, to find that information. Yeah. Um, so we, we talked about as well, the, you know, focusing on, on the local businesses as opposed to, you um, know, thinking it's somewhere in Toronto or Calgary that you have to go to, to find the decision maker, that the local business person, uh, more chance that you're going to have to be connected to them or know them, um, more chance, like you said, that that person's been to your event or is aware of your event or property um, because they're they're living in that community. So that focus on local.
2: Um, right. Even that set of Arby's example. So if there's one Arby's in Oshawa and the person doesn't have a lot of money and you don't think they do very well, they're still the one it's much easier for them to sell head office or to convince head office than it would be for you. So if they're really excited about the Oshawa generals and you want to get Arby's on board and you know that they don't have any money at the store level, you want an ally and your ally is that's, you know, your ally is the person that has those local connections that knows what the Oshawa generals are and knows that that's relevant. So, um, don't sidestep the person because you don't think they have a big budget or they're not important or they're not in the right department. So again, um, looking up where the head office is doesn't really mean a lot. It's really starting with your, um, starting where possible with your local connections.
1: Yeah. Um, the other um, way to kind of narrow it down is, is to look at, you know, sponsors of similar properties. So if you're, running a a festival, you know, maybe looking at other festivals and seeing who are some of the companies that are associated there. But we were talking about it just before about, you know, looking at companies who already do sponsorship just in general, because they've already got that.
2: Right. There's a line item, right? So do you have, if a lot of companies have in their budget and you know, people are, it's dated. So there's a lot of companies that still have TV. You guys may some of you guys listening may relate to this TV, newspaper, radio, outdoor, and then they put in something called online everybody put in 10 years ago in their budget or five years ago online well it's totally dated first of all so but if they don't have a line that says sponsorship it's harder because you're creating something out of scratch that they've never done before so in an organization that has done things like this that's one of the factors it's not the only one but one of the factors to say hey, we've seen, like you said, they've sponsored festivals. It means they've done their research. They've got an activation team. They know how to give away samples. They're set up. They may have already bought a booth. You know, a booth could cost them $10,000. So if they bought it already, now they can come to your event and they don't have to pay that $10,000. It's sitting in their office somewhere. If they've never bought the booth and you want to be the first event, now they have a big hard cost associated with it. So again, companies that... Have a propensity to do stuff like yours it's way easier right
1: um, so through all of that I mean you, you may still you know feel like all those channels are exhausted and but you still feel you know there's a company there that uh, you know would be a really good fit and you just have that good feeling about it yeah. uh, but you don't appear to have any connection um, is there any harm in reaching out and
2: well, I think what I'd say, you know, the, the last line there's cold outreach. I think what I would say, I hate the word cold in general. I think you have to warm it up. So you take something that's cold, and you know, you can put it in the microwave or put it in the oven. So and that's what I was saying is as opposed to saying. So if you get excited and you say, okay, I really have a good feeling that um, uh, Allstate would be a really good sponsor. I just have a feeling they're in their whatever that feeling is. Okay, do your research down. Start with the feeling and do your research. So again, research the company, what do they do? What have they done? Do they care about your community? Have they done stuff in other communities? Have they done things similar? Who are the right contacts? What's the background of those contacts? You know, you go on LinkedIn, if you see somebody who works for Allstate and they used to work for Manulife, that might be part of the conversation. Maybe you have a Canadian. Might, uh, so I think the point is warm it up. You could, you could have that, you can have a gut feeling, but before you reach out to that cuz your odds are so slim if it's just cold um, you know warm up the the lead and then then make your outreach if, if your outreach is something you know more along the lines of we and I think you're going to give an example related to life. but I think the if the the more the example is is specific and less generic the better so that's yeah. sort of the short
1: probably safe to say you know if you go through those first kind of three steps pretty pretty hard to find zero connection there's there's going to be some connection right. way into to warm it up that's, that's right that's right the other thing i would say just about that is it makes your conversation easier
2: so if you're in this sales mode that we have a great event and do you want to sponsor it it's it's tends to be a terrible conversation if the conversation's more about shared interests or you can say hey i know you guys got involved with the heart and stroke foundation recently can you tell me about that uh, or i'd like to learn more about that it's a it's a you know it's the point of icebreakers it's nice to have some real tangible things that you can discuss yeah.
1: um, so we touched on a couple of these already just in terms of how to how to really actually find the the right person to, to reach out to so linkedin obviously being the uh, the foremost new kind of technology one um which is great you know it's, it's searchable you can you can find people and, and it already offers you that uh connection and says you know this is how you're connected to this person or you're two degrees away from this person and so forth so uh, a really great tool to uh, to utilize to find who the right person to uh to connect with is um well, one that we uh that we didn't kind of touch on yet is is you know your organizational contact so you know, you may have uh vendors and companies that your, your, your property is spending money with. So maybe you're, you know, maybe you need to buy insurance or maybe or catering or something. Are those people you can look at as well? Yeah, absolutely. So who do you do your banking with? Everybody has a bank. So if you're banking
2: with Scotiabank, um, you know, you guys, a lot of you guys are, you know, major, you know, your suppliers or major organizations are suppliers without, and I know some people get nervous about this, about, is there a conflict or based on some of the, municipal people that we're talking to here about regulations. But um, they're separate discussions, but the advantage of you having a supplier relationship with a bank or an insurance company or the person that does the wiring in the building or the forklift operators or uh, those are great companies for you to reach out to and talk to them about um, a relationship. You don't have to say anything about it. If You're talking to a forklift operator, the op, the company that does operations in your building. You don't have to say, "By the way, do you do." You're the forklift operator in our building, but they know that. They understand that that they've been doing work for you with you for many years, and I think um, it's natural. and And here's the here's one of the things I think people get confused on. It. So they would think, "Well, if I call the forklift operator in our building," We're already doing stuff with them. I feel uneasy about that. I should call another company. The problem is what if they wanted to do something? And what if their competitor, let's say you use John Deere equipment and you think, oh, well, we shouldn't really mix the two. John Deere is our supplier. They do a lot of work here. We, we have their machines. And um, so I'm going to call Cat or, uh, Kubota. Kubota becomes a sponsor. And then John Deere comes in and says, why didn't you give us a chance? We've worked with you we've, you know, you guys have bought our John Deere machines for 20 years, you know, we would have liked to work together. So there's this opposite feeling that you shouldn't approach John Deere. Now, if you approach John Deere and they're not interested, that's different, but you should, the people you're already working with um, are the ones you have relationships with. Like it's it seems sort of counterproductive or counterintuitive, it's intuitive not to, talk to the people that you talk to every day just maybe somebody down the hall in your office but um so anyways yeah absolutely the the answer is you should the more you can use the companies that work with you the better
1: yeah um so so this graph we took from the uh, the canadian sponsorship uh, landscape study the, the most recent edition um in our first two episodes we've had a few other graphs from uh, from there, but uh, so this one uh, looks to highlight the title or the level of people um, who are sponsorship decision makers. So maybe a little bit tough to see um, uh, on the screen here, but the, this uh, green bar here represents uh, VP level, um, and this pink bar here represents director. So you can see, seventy-five you know, percent of of the decision makers that were surveyed in this were at that level. Um, only ten percent that were at the manager level, and fifteen percent at the Uh, president and CEO level. So pretty good bet that your decision maker at a company you've identified is going to be in that level and is going to have one of those kind of titles. So if you're doing some of that research on on LinkedIn, uh, you may want to kind of look for those types of titles. Right. And if you're
2: talking to somebody who you know, a good question is um, who makes the decisions on sponsorship? So let's say you have a friend you know my brother or you have a friend at somewhere as opposed to saying who's in sponsorship or even who should I talk to? A better question is who makes the sponsorship decisions um, because if you say who should I talk to, they might might be somebody more junior. but really you want the sooner you can reach a decision maker, yes or no is better if you if you're dealing and you feel like, well, I may get a quick no well, if the manager likes your idea, but you're going to get a no from the director anyway, you want to get a no quickly. Well, it's a lot of time. Why put time in if ultimately it's not going to be received? So you want to go to the person who, so good word or good way to, as you're working through there is who makes your corporate partnership, corporate sponsorship decisions. And sometimes it's a team of people. Sometimes someone will say to you, well, you have to start with our manager or director. That's okay.
1: But, the closer you can get to the decision maker, the better. All right. So the, there is a you know a bit of a, a risk, I guess, of you know, if, if you do kind of start a little bit too low on the you know on the pecking order, that you know maybe that person doesn't have the the clout or the authority really to push push something through further. Yep. Um So they, I guess you know if in doubt, would it be would it be better to aim high and then.
2: Yeah, I think if in doubt, I think your decision maker is going to typically be higher rather than lower. So the graph really shows that, you know, the the manager, um, the manager is rarely manager or coordinator or executive is rarely making an ultimate decision. So, yeah, I think if you can, lean you know, up. but again, the most important thing is that you're starting with people you have relationships with. So if you know the manager of sponsorship, you say, oh, she's not a decision maker. That's OK. That's where you have to start. You know, or there's a history. Start with the manager of uh, sponsorship, and then see where it goes. Right,
1: and and on, on the high end, I guess it's it's probably most common that you know president CEO level they're they're relying on their team, so they're deferring those decisions down to somebody who's a little bit more specialized in that area.
2: Yeah, well, we just did we just did a pretty large uh,
1: sponsorship deal
2: um, for three years for a company and some naming rights, and the director handled everything for the most part, but the vice president signed off. Now, vice president didn't change a single word of the contract. And that happens a lot because they are relying on the director of sponsorship. The vice president could be, it says VP marketing sponsorship. But one thing I would say, a lot of companies, the VP is just VP. It could be VP business operations. Um, a lot of companies don't have VPs of every department. So if it's a VP, a vice president up here, and they have 12 different directors reporting to them, they're going to sign up. Think in your own situation, you know, oftentimes where you're you're working, once your superior trusts you, or if you trust your staff under you, you're going to less, much less scrutiny of what they're doing. So it's the same on buying decisions. So um, that's common. So a lot of times, even when it says VP decision maker, they're oftentimes a check and balance. So if a VP is deciding, the CEO may be signing off. If the director is doing it, the vice president may be signing off. But um, the person who makes the essence of the decision is really key
1: for you. Right. And this, I mean, this graphic might might be a little bit more representative of, of some of those you know bigger That's corporate right. sponsors and, and things like that. But it's probably if you apply it to a small business, it's probably pretty similar that you know, that the owner or president yeah. of that business is going to to their team and, and so yeah. forth, so it's probably still pretty accurate. Great. um Okay, so so now we've got a pretty good understanding of you know how to identify the types of companies that are a really good fit for for our properties. Uh, we also have a, you know, a good understanding of how to zero in on the right person and who we should be talking to with those companies. Uh, so now we kind of have to get into the um, into the uh, the thick of it, which is you know the actual outreach and, and starting to. Um, trying to set up some of these conversations and start building some of these, uh, building some of these relationships. So, um, so the first, you know, the first example we kind of show here is, you know, in the, in the introduction to to the episode, we talked about how this this our approach is a really personalized one and it's a really proactive one, um, but yet a bit, you know a very common practice for in sponsorship is uh, is application forms. So, you know, you'll see. You'll see it on a, on a company's website. You know, fill out this form for sponsorship or donation requests. Um, uh, and you may also find it on a, on a property's uh, website where they you know they've got a, a page on their website where people can apply to, to be a sponsor. Um, what I mean, what are our thoughts on on forms and 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 how to navigate them or what should
2: I think people don't read them. So I think the thoughts on forms are. You know, some of you guys will say, I filled out a form. It's generally, you know, you always get Always get be careful when you're generalizing and there'll be somebody out here that said, oh, I filled out a form once and I got a sponsorship. But generally companies are non-responsive to forms. It's not personalized. They get bulks of them. It doesn't look. Uh, it's not something that differentiates anybody. It doesn't allow you usually the opportunity to put a lot of detail in here, you know. The olympics are not sending a form to canadian tire the maple leaf sports entertainment don't fill out any forms so why are you filling out a form and i think that that um immediately puts you in a pretty unlikely situation so the reality is it's not uh it's not a very effective route
1: right we were were talking before about how a good analogy for for forms is kind of um like applying for a job And, and you could apply for a job and you could submit your resume and, um, and you might be the most qualified and then the best candidate and your resume rises to the top. But probably, you know, that's that's a little bit more of a narrow um, opportunity than if you're proactive in reaching out and figuring out who that, that hiring manager is, building the, the relationship. And it's very, very similar in that sense that if you're filling out the form, if you're the absolute best sponsorship opportunity, Maybe that form rises to the top, but it's probably unlikely. Maybe, but I would say, and,
2: you know, again, another key point, if you're really good, that's overrated. Like, So I don't know if we got that. If you're really good, let's say your event's great, everybody should sponsor it. Like, it's part of it. But to think, I think there's so many people that come from the position, we're great, therefore, somebody should sponsor us. The, the key is how it's conveyed. There's lots of good products and good services and people that have great ideas and people that fill in forms. And some of you guys are probably listening to this think our event is amazing and sponsors aren't listening to Well, it's on you. It may be true, but it's not the sponsor's fault that they haven't responded to you or responded to your email. It's your fault. You haven't figured out how to convey the message. You know, I always use that example. If you have better coffee than Tim Hortons, who cares? Um, If you're not selling any and you don't have a store and you make it, if you want to do that and you make it at home and it's for you and your significant other, great. But you shouldn't be upset that you're not selling a lot of them unless you kind of go through the exercise of figuring out how to do that. So again, if you, people spend so much time on let's have a great product and so little time on, um, conveying that and sponsorships a part of that. If you're not conveying your message or why your product is a good fit for sponsors, then yeah, you don't deserve the sponsorship. You haven't done a good, you, you haven't convinced people that it is good. So, so
1: just cause you know, it doesn't, it's not
2: going to get you very far.
1: Okay. So, so forms probably something we want to avoid. Um, so, probably one of the more common uh, outreach tactics that uh, you know are used by most people would be would be email um, so we wanted to spend some time talking about that uh, when we use the word template uh, so we don't mean it in the sense of copying and pasting or um, you know mass uh, mass emailing a, a generic message to, to people um, what we're really kind of talking about is that there's a few key elements that you probably want to have consistent in just about any introductory email that you're that you're right. sending out um, which we'll kind of go through an example here. So, just just start, just before you start in the items, I and mean, the one thing I want to say
2: because I don't is how uh, how small it is. So just before you get into the specifics, the one thing I want to say is keep it short. The vast majority of emails, and think if you're listening, if you're listening here today, think of the last five emails you sent to people that were sort of outreaches. Were they, if anything, this is too long. So that's a very common mistake is to send an email. That's a page long people aren't going to read it. Yeah. Directors, vice presidents, CEOs, people that you're targeting are not going to read the length of the email. So just before you even get into the specifics, keeping it brief and
1: concise is very important. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll read the example here, cause it may be a little bit tough to see. Um, so in this case, uh, Good afternoon, John, Uh, I was referred to you by my colleague, Rebecca, who indicated that you and her had worked together a few months back. I recently heard about Manulife's new partnership with the Ride for Heart, and I have to say that from my perspective, it seems like a fantastic partnership. If it's not too much trouble, I would love to pick your brain about Manulife's healthy living and wellness initiatives, hear about some of the other objectives the organization has for 2018. Would you have some time on Thursday or Friday of this week to chat for a few minutes? Thanks, John, hope to hear from you soon.
2: So again, just while you're looking at this, what do you notice? What's not mentioned in here, the, your event or who you are, it doesn't, you know, you'd think, well, how could I, it's at the bottom, right? Uh, director of business development, cause sports entertainment, but it's, you're talking about manually and their initiatives and ride for heart and talking. So again, where's the focus? The te- if you're going to keep an email this short and the email ends up being all about you, that's not going to get people excited either. They're, Sitting in a Manulife desk with Manulife colors, and they get their paycheck from Manulife,
1: and Manulife's
2: very important to them. So again, talk talk about
1: things that are important to them. Right. Um, so you can see from from what we mentioned about a template, you know, this, this couldn't really be a template because it's Manulife specific. It's personalized to the person. So, but there are a few key elements that um, that would be consistent across just about any introductory email um, that we'd recommend sending out. So. I'm gonna go through those now, and this, these may be a little bit easier to see. But so the first and foremost is that it's a personalized greeting. So it's it's good afternoon, John. It's not to whom it may concern, um, and it's not even you know to Mr. or Mrs. So and so. It's personalized to to John, and um, you know again, it's, it's using their their first name. Um, you know, in the in the book um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, it talks about how yep. everyone's favorite word in the entire English language is their first name. Um, Something that if you hear it, you can't help but turn your head. You see it written, you can't help but kind of read a little bit. So personalizing it right off the top um, can help a lot, just to, to get to get started. Yeah. Um, second, so th- there's a there's a strong point of reference. Um, so um, you know you know mentions that uh, you know it was referred by by a colleague, Rebecca. Hopefully, you know they they. He, John in this case remembers who, who Rebecca is, and then there's that connection. That's the reason. That's how I found this person's contact information. That's why I'm reaching out. Um, but there's a there's that point of reference, so it indicates to to the recipient, you know, this isn't spam. This is this is somebody who's typed an email out to me. Um, so third, you know, framing it and, and um, you know why did why did I see a fit to reach out? So it's talking all about them and then talking about Manual Life, talking about um, a recent initiative of theirs that that I saw that. Uh, made me think of them. Um, and um, so it's all about them. And that I, I think that that paragraph there, which we'll kind of skip back here for a second, but this paragraph here where it's all about manual life, that's you know where we would see it, you know, really commonly start to, you know, kind of you know try to squeeze in as much information about right. me you as you digress.
2: It's yeah. a digress. The other thing that's not on here too is the subject line. The subject line has to have manual life or something about manual The subject line should have the words right for heart or manual life or something in there. Not maybe you're maybe you're maybe you're in there in a the slash or as part of it but it's the focus is again that, yeah and people tend to people tend to want to have another paragraph or two there, there may be a sentence about the nature of what you're calling about or the inquiry or but it's really limited you know i wanted to talk to you about our um, to see if there's any fit with life and our Peach Festival in Ajax. That's okay. But it's to see if there's a fit with Manulife's even better, Manulife's initiatives or Manulife's vision um, or if, you know, you know, the, our event could be similar to uh, Right for Heart. So I, I think it, you know, if you're going to put yourself in there, put it in the context of them or things they're already doing.
1: Right. Um, so another one is it, there's a there's a call to action and it's and it's very specific and we're not asking for too much of a time commitment. So in this case, you know, I want to pick their brain about their recent initiative, uh, hoping they have a few minutes on a Thursday or Friday. So not asking for you know, like a one and a half hour formal sit down meeting where we'll go through our, my sponsorship property and everything. I'm asking for a small commitment uh, from them. So, um, so the call to action and then uh, a personalized closing. So, you know, thanks John and hope to hear from you soon. So again, another opportunity to, to insert that person's first name into, uh, to the email Um, kind of bookends it nicely in the sense that you started with that and then you're ending with uh, it all being about them specifically. Um, And uh, what I would even say, I don't
2: mind that the the thanks John's great. I would say that even stronger than that would be something like, um, thanks, John, do you have, uh, would you have a few minutes to discuss this later in the week? Something where there's a call to action, it suggests that it's a short period of time, and it it, it suggests something's coming. Right. This isn't the end of the communication. You don't want them to think as they can delete it, and then they won't hear from you again. Yeah.
1: Um, so, I mean, this this is one template. This is one example. Um, by no means does this suggest that this is kind of the be-all and end-all of, of email templates. If you spend some time on Google, you'll find kind of no end to to effective email templates for for different things. But um part of the reason, you know, we kind of we again we use that word template in the five key elements is that, you know, it's something that you can you can kind of measure a little bit and see, you know, if I if I make this paragraph a little bit shorter, do I feel like I'm getting more responses? If I'm personalizing it, if I have a really strong opening. Um, so it's a template in the sense that you can kind of tweak a know, a few things here and there and then see what's working. Right. right. The only thing I would say to that, Evan,
2: though, you gotta be careful because if you go online, there's lots of email email templates. Some of them are very bad. So I would say that the general premise, without getting too specific, is the general premise is you're in good shape if it's customer centric. So if your focus, if it's an email template and it's really focused on the people you're talking to, and it'll probably be the biggest theme in our 10 sessions here is um Make it about them and not you. So I think when you're looking for those templates, yeah, again, you're right. This isn't. There's lots of varieties, but just make sure you're keeping it within the context of um, less about you, more about them, and and looking for fits. Right.
1: Um, so I mean, even if you did kind of manage to uh, to find the perfect email template, um, probably still more than likely that you're not going to get a response. Um, yeah. It's probably the most likely yeah, okay. scenario. So. What do you do? Well, it's a good,
2: first of all, you don't get angry. So, so I think one of the things that it's so common for people to say, I sent them and I spent, so just think how many, watch how many eyes are in this. I spent three hours researching their company. I spent two days coming up with an email. I took a course from Cosmo Sports and Entertainment. I wrote an email. I sent, I did attachments. I sent an email to them. And they didn't even have the decency to respond. Okay. Do you respond to all your phone calls you get from duck cleaners at home? No, not all of them. You don't return every one of them. Do you respond to every cell phone inquiry or everybody that wants to sell you a photocopier? So the worst thing you could do is so get angry about it. You're not a priority for a company. Uh, why would for that Arby's who's trying to sell roast beef sandwiches, how are you a priority about maybe sponsoring an upcoming marathon? Like it's not a priority. So you've got to kind of have a level of humility, first of all, and realize that your email you sent just because you put a lot of time into it is not a high priority for the person receiving it. So that's first. I, I think it just it's don't take it, you're gonna have to be persistent. In order to get any results, so um, yeah, you should take it. It's what you said at the beginning here. You should assume that they're not going to respond, and that's normal. And it has no reflection on if it's a good or bad person. When you start, it's pretty judgmental to say he's a jerk, she's an idiot because I sent her three emails and she didn't respond. So I think I think you got to you got to take all that emotion out of it and. Um, I
1: think that's the first part. And then, um, so it, one of the key words that I think you mentioned there is, is persistence. Right, um, right. So can be a bit of a scary word sometimes. Um, so how do I know if I'm being too persistent? Yeah. So there's a simple thing, yes or no.
2: Right. So, you know, the pretty strong things that never give up. Well, until you get it, you know, the caveat at the bottom would be until you get a no. When a company has said to you, look, no, we're not, in, we're unequivocally not interested or there's no budget or call us next year. Okay. But uh, never give up if you don't have an answer because oftentimes it's a company that's just very busy and you're not a priority, but they might still be really interested. And this assumption that somebody's not interested because they haven't responded, by the way, most of you are thinking, I, Called them 10 times and they didn't respond. Therefore, they're not interested. You're totally wrong. There is virtually non-existent correlation for interest level. And, you know, you're not saying to somebody you want a car. Well, if you want a car and it's legitimate. Hi, this is Toyota. You want a car. Okay. You can call back. Quickly. You're not saying that. You not win anything. They're not going to call you back quickly. You're not a priority. Didn't, they didn't win a car by calling you back. So yeah, it's gonna take time and that's normal. And don't take it out on them for not responding to you. They haven't said, they're, they're, they're still the same probability they're a yes um, the first time you call them. So again, I, it's a really strong point because so many people get that wrong. Um, and yeah, persistent and polite. You know, we use the term here that if you're persistent and rude, then you're going to be perceived as rude. But there's this common thing that I'm driving them nuts. Wrong. No, you're not. Driving anybody nuts if you're persistent and polite. Um, They're just busy. And eventually, they're going to respond and get back to you and they may have an interest. Um, But you have to be, again, and you have to take no. When there's a no, that's different. Everything changes then if somebody's consistent and there's a no. But... Again, I know there's some different avenues you can go here.
1: So, so yeah, I mean, really, you know, best case scenario, you get a really positive response from that email and you schedule your meeting and great. And then you don't get a response and it's all that persistence that we just talked about, persistent and polite, but um, continuing until kind of you get some sort of indication and yes or a no. Yeah. Um, so what, it, in the, I guess in the, in the scenario where someone does get back to you and says, you know, it's just not a good time.
2: Yeah, I think if somebody, so first of all, you have to be ready with, and, and, you know, we're not big on scripts per se, but I think you have to be ready with how to handle common objections. So common objections are, you caught me at a bad time, I'm not interested, Uh, we don't have a budget. So if somebody says, you've caught me at a bad time, you can start with, sorry, that's a really good way to start. So first of all, disagreeing and arguing is not going to get you anywhere. Uh, so they say, sorry, you caught me in a bad time. So oh, I've tried calling you at every time of day. You're done. You may as well hang out. You're not going to work with this person. So arguing, you're going to lose. If, if uh, even saying something, you're, another line that's really bad is, oh, you're so hard to reach. I can't believe I reached you. Terrible. But that's, that's an affront to them, that they're hard to reach, which is a negative and that you should be a priority. So your question, if somebody says um, it's a really bad time, you say, really sorry, um, when would be a good time for you? And what I throw in sometimes, I'm available anytime. So this is an important lesson for everybody here. You need to be available 24 hours a day. Now, seven days a week. Now, it Sounds crazy, right? So I haven't had in 20 years, anybody told me, can you call me at two o'clock? It hasn't happened yet. Maybe one day it'll happen once. Uh, but by me saying I'm available anytime, usually it's a normal once in a while, there's a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock call, and I make sure that my personal schedule allows that, and I juggle that, and I take a call from 10 to 10.15 10. on a Saturday morning. And... That's important. If you want to be doing this, you have to be open to it. Understanding that 90% of it, and where it really gets. So that, that seems, like where it gets tricky is if you say, you say when's a good time and they say um, Friday and you say, oh, it's my holiday. I'm off that Like, it's a really bad answer. So there can be an answer saying, uh, an answer could be this Friday is really tricky for me. How's next Friday? The point is find a solution. It's about their schedule, not yours. And people tend to have this nine to five mentality. So again, I'm I'm saying two points. I'm saying say when's a good time, but be flexible. Don't be rigid based on how they're answered, what their answer is. Right. Um,
1: I guess the the fourth scenario that we have here is just you know they just say no, they're, they're just not interested. So how do how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think there's two ways. I think there's there's at
2: some point, uh, usually it's probably two nos to me. I mean, I think if somebody says no, you know, a couple nos, and then it's thank you very much. As you can see there, I think if somebody says no, I'm not really interested. A good comment would be no problem uh, or sure. Do you mind? Do you mind if I ask why? Get all kinds of answers. So one answer might be we just don't. We have no money. We don't do anything like this. It might be, I'm leaving my job in a month. It might be our budget's spent. Can you call me in January? It might be, actually, it's a really bad week. So on the first no or no we're not interested, a really good response is, do you mind if I ask why? Like, the, do, do you mind if I ask, I, we use the term sort of cushions, like cushions the blow. Do you mind if I ask why is a lot, just think of the difference, right? No, we're not interested why because we're not goodbye like it's harsh yeah. um, do you mind if I ask why is asking their permission to ask the question you mind if I ask why a lot less time you will get we're just not interested you'll get that sometimes but and then I think it's on that second no uh, that it's a thank you but but very often, I would say 50% of the first no's aren't long-term no's. There's got to be a reason. They're saying no for a reason. Why? It's a reason. All called about something. What's the reason? We don't do that. I'm not in sponsorship. And then take those whys, and you can turn them in different directions. And that's where, more so than a script, what I recommend is that people have, like, flashcards on the wall in their office knowing how to answer questions. So if somebody says not interested and you have a couple words that say, do you mind if, like not interested? And you have, do you mind if I ask why? That's a great thing on your wall. Um, no problem. Do you mind if I ask why? Cause then you'll go to that after you do it, after you're doing it for two weeks you'll, or a month, you'll take it off your wall. Cause it'll be, you put something else on there that is a little more confusing, but that's a lot better than a script. It's just some prompts, um, to keep you on target. Then when you get another big objection, somebody's like, uh, I don't want to sponsor because I don't like hockey. How do you answer that? So I understand that? Do you mind if I ask why and then, or what don't you like about hockey? Do you mind if I ask what you don't like about hockey? I don't like, I just, uh, it's just not my sport or I'm not into sports. Well, no problem, just wondering, is there anybody that you work with that might be into hockey? So there's a path that can get you back there. And just you know, I think you got to uh, experience is important on this. More than anything.
1: Yeah. Okay, so got a couple minutes uh, left here, so we do want to get to some Q and A. Talked a lot about emails and forms. Uh, phone might be another uh, method that a lot of people want to um, like to use. Um, same kind of premise, same kind of formula. You want to um, you want to try to use. You're trying to. Uh, call someone directly, so not calling the company and asking who's in charge of sponsorship. Calling and asking for John or Susie or whoever it is that's in charge that you already know is in charge because you, you've done your research or uh, you were referred to that person. So calling someone directly. Um, if you are calling in lieu of that introductory email, the the goal of that phone call is to set up a meeting or a phone call where there's an agenda. So. Most people don't necessarily like to be caught off guard with a with an incoming call, um, so you want to give them kind of the um, uh, the you know the, the politeness of, of offering to uh, you know schedule another time when when you're both kind of ready with with an agenda, um, and then voicemails again the goal is not to pitch on the on the voicemail the goal is to get a call back, so you want to keep it short and, and simple and, and just try to you know encourage a call back as opposed to um, Kind of pitching the whole thing uh, on a voicemail. So, okay. uh, so last thing before we just get to Q and A. Um, so, just one kind of hack that we can uh, that we can offer. So, uh, you know, we mentioned LinkedIn and we mentioned Google as you know tools you can use to for uh, prospect research and everything. Um, HubSpot is is a great one that can is a plugin for Gmail can help you. Um, will let you know if people have opened your email. In uh, a personal email, so not like a, a constant contact or a MailChimp uh, email service provider that where you can kind of mass email, but this is really on a one-to-one basis. So um, so great tool, great, great thing that you know hasn't always been around. So you can see, you know, I've sent this person five emails, they haven't opened them. Um, or what's even better, you know, I've sent this person five emails, they have opened them, but I haven't got back, I haven't heard back from them maybe I got to change things up and try a phone call or something too, because uh, there seems to be a little bit of interest there. So, um, so I recommend uh, people check that out. But, um, so that, that wraps up the uh, the content for, for today. Um, so key takeaways, you know, about finding the, the, the fit for, for a company, uh, making sure that you've got some idea of, of that there is some initial fit as a, as a reason for why you're reaching out, uh, find the right people leveraging your network, uh, pretty unlikely that you're you're unable to find any connection to to a company you've identified as a as a potential fit. So um, if it looks like there isn't a connection, keep going. There, there's someone. Uh, there's some connection somewhere. Uh, and keep in mind that the the goal of this outreach, all this outreach we talked about today, the emails, the phone calls, all that. It's all about trying to get that meeting. It's trying to. It's not about getting. You know, it's not about pitching in the email. It's not about pitching on the phone. It's about trying to get a face to face appointment. And that's really what our next. Uh, episode's going to talk about is that first kind of face-to-face appointment where again it's still all about them and learning about their business um but now in a a face-to-face context and that's that's what our next episode's going to uh going to be about so with that uh we'll turn over the last couple minutes here to uh q a yep so our first question comes from katie and she asks what are some ways you can convince a prospect to meet
2: with you after they've told you to fill out a form Okay, so first of all, I know we're three o'clock, so I'll try and do some quick bullet answers to a few questions. Anybody, people can stay on for a few minutes, that's great. Um, I would say if someone tells you to fill out the form, you have to assume that they're not going to read it. So that's a first step in the process. You can call or email and say, hey, I filled out the form, and you can have it with you and say, I filled out the form. Did you get a chance to look at it? But I think you still go back to your original concept of wanting to set up a meeting and you should want a meeting so if you're afraid of a meeting in person you're in trouble um, you're not going to sell much sponsorship over the phone or via email so a lot of people hide by filling out emails or forms so I would say the forms aren't doing much so it's a smoke screen it's more or less like you telling somebody that you're not interested in something send me an email so I think you've got to kind of continue to go forward
0: and
1: the second question is, if a lead uh, dies essentially, what is the process for reaching back up to them in the future?
2: Okay. Um, I think, you know, uh, your CRM system is important. So have a database system, where you, not a spreadsheet. So everybody should have, there's a lot of free versions now. You can have a database system, which is more efficient than a spreadsheet uh, for you to have that keeps those names. and. It's not easy to do, and people, you know, I think, uh, but putting it in a calendar to say, look, I should reach back out in six months or a year. There are very few situations where a company, even though they say no to sponsorship, that you can't reach out, uh, back in a year. Things change. A lot of companies change their objectives or the direction. So it's just sort of putting it in a in a calendar to, to reach back. Yeah. Uh, and then our
1: last one from SMSNet. Uh, what ultimately is your recommendation as a workaround for, again, companies who want you to complete a form um, that you mentioned with the honest understanding that emails and calls are frequently ignored?
2: Yeah, so sorry, are they saying that the calls and emails are frequently ignored? Okay, so good, they're gonna be ignored. So I think you have to still be persistent. So I think you can, again, it doesn't hurt to fill out the form. So if, if um, you know, I still kind of say the forms are in essence pretty useless, but as a service. So if they ask you, did you fill out the form rather than saying, no, it doesn't hurt to say, yeah, we did fill out the form, but I haven't heard back. And I'm wondering if you had a chance to read it or um, we, and I think it's still going back to the same concept. We've talked about your uh, ride, you know, ride for heart, or we've talked about, you know, talk about some of the things they do. So I think again, don't get stuck in that place. It's a very easy out for them to say, you have to get past that. The good thing is probably six out of 10 people will just fill out the form and walk away. So I think it's on you to say, like, I'm not going to be satisfied with filling out a form. I did it. I did it. I filled out the form. You know, the questions. Have you had a chance to look at it? And most of the time you'll get a no. So if you're persistent and polite, eventually uh, there's more likelihood you're going to get the time of day.
1: Great. All right. Well, uh, well, thanks very much, everybody, for uh, participating in our uh, episode three today. Uh, next episode is in two weeks, same uh, time and uh, uh, same place. So uh, special thanks again to Central Counties Tourism and Sport Durham uh, for putting on this webinar and allowing us to host it. And uh, again, any questions that we didn't get a chance to to answer or if any questions come to mind after we wrap up today, please feel free to email those, uh, email those to us. Uh, you can find our emails on Cosmosports.com. Thank, Thank you very much, everybody. You. Thank you,
0: everyone. Special thanks to Central County's Tourism and Sport Durham for hosting the webinar series with us. And special thanks to Kerry for joining me on the podcast again. If you're really interested in sponsorship, you can subscribe to the Cosmos Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Part four of our webinar series will be coming out in a couple weeks, and we're going to cover how to approach that first meeting with a potential sponsor. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, we'd very much appreciate a rating or a review. My name is Evan Colborne. Thank you very much for listening.